welcome to Chucked, Season 2, Episode 3. I am Charles Braxton. With me is Austin Charles. And we're excited about today. There's a lot going on. We've got a Super Bowl coming up in less than two weeks. Our Cavaliers are in a serious struggle. We have a lot to talk about. Hey, uh, Austin, what's going on today? Yeah, the Cavs' relationships status is uh, it's complicated, uh, to say the least. Um, they had a some calling out party in the locker room, yeah. I guess, where no one was um, exempt from it. Um, which f- the first thing I thought was, what was um, Jose Calderon called out for? <laughs> what was Seti Usman called out for? I uh, would have loved to have heard that. Um, but yeah, yeah I guess... Uh, like, I'm sure everyone was called out. I'm sure uh, LeBron was called yeah. out. Per usual, I, th- I, I think uh, Kevin Love was the fall guy. Um, Let's trade him away. Know. Let's just trade him and see how much at the this, problem At is this really. point, they might as well just trade him away because they seem to have such a... You know, just to save the guy some some peace of mind. Uh-huh. Just trade him. I mean, I don't want yeah. to, but you might as well. Uh, it, I saw this Dan um, Griffin, David Griffin quote um, that gave me a little peace amidst the storm. If you know anything about our team, you know we only respond when we're in a measure of chaos. So they responded last night by losing to the Spurs by 10 or so. Yeah. Um, they competed that, at least. They did. They did. 148 points. I, I think a lot of the problem is they there. they just thought they could kind of plug and play. They just they, Okay, we traded away a scoring point guard and we got one and it's going to... Yeah. And we just... And they're two different personalities. They're two totally different players. I mean, Kyrie can drop 40 without even a ball screen and Isaiah needs four to get 30, you know? And so um, it's... I, I think it's real simple. I, I, I think they're old and it's January mm-hmm. and they're coasting to save for the playoffs. Yeah. You, you know, and then of course they have a five, nine point guard. I, I, I'm sorry. In defense of all of us guys who are vertically challenged everywhere, I, I hate to say this, but... Mm-hmm. It's not a coincidence that they haven't done as well since he started playing. Mm-hmm. I know that he can't defend. He yeah, he's not. You know, granted, so, granted, you know, the Celtics are one of the better defensive teams in the league, and they have Kyrie. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, if you that's that's yeah. uh, that's you know, if you're if your your coach is doing something right, your team is doing something right when you're one of the better defensive teams in the league, and you have yeah. Kyrie Irving um, as one of your members playing defense. <laughs> I think it's sad that that for a moment. In like July, I think it was, we had Kyrie, Paul George, and David Griffin. Hmm. To think for a moment we had that, because um, I agree, I don't, hmm. I don't, jump, I don't, I don't um, freak out. They're old. They they have more perspective than everyone else they're playing against. Most people they're playing against. Yeah. It's January. They don't have a purpose, and nor should they. You know, they're just they want to stay in that three to one seed range. And, uh, and here's what good. does concern me though: is they. I don't think if it's January, if it's June, I don't think they defend well, and that's yeah. uh, you know that mm-hmm. you got you got to score a lot of baskets mm-hmm. to when you don't defend well. And their shooters aren't shooting either, and and all every team LeBron's on that wins is uh, is a LeBron team with a lot of shooters, yeah. and they're not yeah. shooting well. You know when they won 13 straight, they made like 15 threes a game. Yeah, exactly. I mean the Hornets are going to win 15 straight if you you know 13 straight if you if they sh- you know shoot yeah. that well. It's so. still called basket ball for mm-hmm. a reason and the other thing too is they don't get the possessions they used to get from Tristan mm-hmm. he used to get a lot of possessions for them and uh, 
they don't. That's why Kevin Love's so critical, I think, because he gets a lot of possessions. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's that. It's January lull. Um, Trying to find something to talk about with the NBA. It's, uh, it's, it's yeah. usually that season. Yeah. Yeah, so let's uh, let's 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 go off on what is uh, very present and prescient, mm-hmm. and that is we have uh, the Super Bowl, another Super Bowl with the Patriots coming off. So, give me an Austin riff. Mm. Go on a riff right now. What's okay. your riff today? I think, I think I have one. Okay, and I uh, I just uh, I got a lot of feedback, and apparently I talked too fast, so I just took a Xanax before we began, and. Um, I'm kidding. I didn't, but I'll try to speak slower for those of you who are hard of hearing. (laughs) Before we begin, I want to say a little something special for Bill Parcells and Drew Bledsoe. You're missed by some and forgotten by all. But imagine this with me. Inside the locker room of Everbank Field, Jacksonville, Florida, Doug Marone is about to give his final pregame speech before the Jacksonville Jaguars take the field in their 2017 opening season game against the Houston Texans. The players are crowded around their coach, some on one knee, others standing, others sitting down, staring at their cleats. All right, men, Marone begins. You all know your role today, but just then, his speech is interrupted. The coaching staff standing behind Marone parts. Something from behind them is edging its way towards the center of the room. The coaches look over their shoulder to see who is nudging them out of the way. Their eyes fall from shoulder down to elbow height. A little man no more than five feet tall patiently shuffles his way into the center of attention in front of Marone. The little man is dressed in a dark silk purple gown that stretches to the floor. The gown's edges are lined in gold with carmine woven patterns. Resting on top of his black shoulder-length bob is a matching purple turban with a ruby in its center just above his forehead. The little man looks around the room at the faces whose expressions a moment ago were exerting with huffing and sweat and testosterone-filled intensity, but are now expressions of sheer bewilderment and confusion of, is this a prank or what? In the motionless, quiet locker room, the little man's voice is all that's heard. Hello, gentlemen. Peace and blessings be to you on this day. I'm a salmon from the far east. My name is of no consequence, but the message I bring is. The mouths of the players and coaches hung open like a toddler whose gaze is transfixed on a tablet screen. I commend you for the journey you embark on. There will be ups and downs, but your young company will achieve many a great things before it comes to an end. You will make it to the very near pinnacle of your endeavor. You will overcome much and make it so far that you will only have a few minutes of time left to complete it. However, there will be one you will not overcome. You will recognize this man 
by the grey stubble that decorates his jawline, a jawline that is so sharp and firm it could cut through bathroom tile. He will recognise this man by the amount of white tape that seemingly holds his ageing body together, so much so that the amount of white tape around his ankles makes him look like he's wearing white disco flat pants. You will recognise this man by a cut on his right hand, sewn together by the hairs of a Brazilian supermodel. But most of all, you will recognise this man by the fear he instils in your entire franchise and their loved ones when he drives the ball down your helpless defence's throat with more undersized white guys than even Bart Starr used. And all the while he makes this final-minute game-winning drive, he'll maintain the facial expression of a bloke driving through a 25-mile-an-hour residential street. Do not be discouraged. You were not the first to fall under his charming good looks and big brand-endorsing charisma. Peace and blessings to you all. And with that, the shaman exited the shocked locker room as quietly as he came. Now, I have a theory why so many of you have contempt for the Patriots. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you say he was from the Far East? Because he sure sounded Irish, English. No, no, no. He, went to, he, he, <laughs> he, grew, he grew up in the United Kingdom. He went to a monastery okay. back in 2004. <laughs> And out of a 10-year hiatus he spent there, he came out with all this, this sage-like okay. wisdom. Okay. And no, he's, yeah, he's actually, um, he's from Surrey. Actually. He's from Surrey, okay. Which is relative to us. No, no, it's, it's, Far yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's where Michael Caine is from. Um, uh, I don't actually know if Michael Caine's from there. That's the first English okay. kind of, no, city okay. I can think of. Um, bad facts. So, again, I have a theory why so many of you have contempt for the Patriots. We all should be thanking the deity of sport for the times we're in. Fifteen years ago, give or take a few years, seems like only yesterday. A day when we thought all was damned in professional sports. In the years where seemingly every marketable baseball player took more steroids than a team of Siberian sprinters. And no one really wanted to be like Mike anymore in those regrettable Wizards uniforms. And a team named after a poet who dated his 13-year-old cousin was the best team in football. The sporting gods took pity on us. The salvation for our Western culture's obsession was near. Jeter came along and reminded us how baseball was meant to be played. Unbeknownst to us, the greatest Los Angeles Laker of all time was actually still actively playing and would soon score 81 points in a single game. Federer won his first of 19 Grand Slams, trophies he's still winning today in some unexplainable way. And that's not to mention a long-haired, Herculean-looking teenage Spaniard that would, with Federer, create one of the greatest rivalries in sports history. Peyton had yet to even make a TV commercial. The world of soccer was, well, it's soccer, so who cares? Tiger had yet to implode from daddy issues and had the most dominant run any sport had ever seen, making golf relevant. Yes. Remember that? Golf was once actually a real thing that totally alive and breathing people watched. Queen Serena began her ascent to the greatest athlete of all time discussion. And from a Division Three Catholic high school in Northeast Ohio, a king took his throne of inhumane statistics and would make us forever rethink the phrase, live up to the hype. All the while, throughout all this, Tom and Bill one and one and one, over and over and over again. And you can't stand it. 
but you don't hate the Patriots or Brady or Belichick. I think you're just spoiled. You've become so familiar with greatness in professional sports, thanks to the decades you live in, that a capitalistic franchise with a handsome, nude, tanning Californian quarterback coached by a coach who, unlike most coaches, really actually doesn't care about what you think of him, it's just too much for you to handle. The deity of sport went too far with these two. Their dominance is too good to be true. But it is true. And it's time to just appreciate a good thing. And it is a good thing because guess what? Every professional athlete and coach in some way or another does cheat. So don't go there. Just respect it. Decades we're in don't last forever. And this brand of dominance is fun. Honestly, it's contradictory to be full-blooded American and to hate the Patriots. And it's not because, it doesn't have anything to do with their nickname or their team colors. The Patriots are all-encompassing Americanism. Dominance is America, right or wrong. You can't try and make all the money you can in your career and resent Robert Kraft, who bought the Patriots in 1994 for $172 million and now holds a net worth of $1.5 billion. You can't preach hard work to your kids and dislike a guy whose mantra is do your job. You can't feel some kind of pride when you see a shirt that reads back-to-back -back World War champs and hate how flippantly the Patriots treat an AFC championship trophy presentation. You can't reminisce on your party boy college days and still have boys night and, see Gronk and, and, and say about Gronk that he needs to grow up and act like a professional. You can't wear sweatpants to church and hate a guy whose vocation is a game and exclusively wears cut-off hoodies every day of his life. And you surely can't be a beneficiary of the American dream and not give credit where credit's due to a very mediocre athlete who barely became a professional, but worked his way to be the greatest professional at his position of all time. That which is Brady's unassuming rise to his inevitable greatness. And if that theory doesn't sit well with you, you're just lying to yourself and everyone else. Because in our participation trophy, pat on the back for something you should have been doing all along, oversensitized culture, you can't say it's not refreshing in the least to hear such a quote as we heard Sunday night. I mean, look, Tom did a great job and he's a tough guy, Belichick said after the game. We all know that, all right, but we're not talking about open heart surgery here. <laughs> so enjoy, while you still can, the Patriots' greatness as they go on to win their sixth Super Bowl championship. That's well said. Really well said. For those of you who don't know, the, our... our, uh, our uh, our tech guy Pete, who's sitting, he's the only the other, only one ever sitting in our room, uh, laughed and smiled like a child the entire way through that. <laughs> he is from uh, the Boston area, and uh, and loves his his Pats. So. And we are happy for him mm -hmm. because he makes us sound better than we should, and he loves his Pats. His and uh, dare I say it, his Celtics too. But he's a fair guy. He's mm -hmm. a fair guy. Um, I, I, I love getting into this because I like anything that helps me express my objectivity because people don't think I'm objective when it comes to football. And hmm. I will say it first of all, I've watched football that I remember since Super Bowl II. Like I remember Super Bowl II. I clearly remember Super Bowl three when the Jets beat the Colts. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. He his ability to make people better is stunning. And I, and I do think it's been an unbelievable marriage, Belichick and Brady. Mm -hmm. Would Belichick been Belichick without Brady? Would Brady been Brady without Belichick? Mm -hmm. I think there's a greater chance that Brady would have been Brady without Belichick than the mm -hmm. other way around. Mm -hmm. I do. 
I, I'm going to be. I want to be interested in seeing what happens with Belichick after Brady. That was one of my questions I had was how many would Brady win without Belichick? How many would Belichick yeah. win without Brady? I don't think either one of them would be as successful. I think it is just an incredible marriage. I was talking to a friend of mine who is a professional, ex-professional football player yesterday. And he said, you know, the whole NFL is about losing your life, but these two take it to another level. They take it to another level. They, you know, uh, the quote that came out in Tom Brady's new documentary where he says, if you're going to compete against me, you're going to have to lose your life because I've lost mine. Hmm. Sounds like a great guy. Yeah. I mean, and he has, you know, that, and, and, and Belichick's the same way. There, there, there is no, there is no life outside of football, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mentioned to him, I said, From a parent's sake, one of the things I admire the Patriots for sustained excellence. I didn't know all about Spygate and all that. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I mean, it doesn't justify it, but if we think they're the only team that possibly has cut corners in the NFL, uh, Mm -hmm. we're fooling ourselves. So setting that aside, the sustained excellence is admirable in so many ways to me, but I said, as I look at them from a human standpoint, as I look at Belichick, it just looks like a really unhealthy system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the the level of competition that they're at to sustain excellence in that, you, you can't live much of a life. Mm-hmm. You, you just can't. It just takes a all-consuming unhealthy drivenness. That's why I think it's such an extension of, of Americanism, this do your job mantra, because it's, this is, their whole culture is built around this transactional thing. Yeah. Like, oh, you were pro bowl last year and yeah. you won a super bowl being our yeah. left tackle. Sorry, you're done. You're, that's right. I don't, I don't, you, don't, you can't give me anything anymore. You're there. We will, we won't reward you in any way because we're, it's, it's what you're, what are you going to do for me right now? That's right. And that's the NFL, but the Patriots take it to another level. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally believe that the minute Tom Brady is not Tom Brady, he will be cut. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I truly believe if that. If Kraft doesn't fire Belichick first. E- exactly. Like exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, there are some rumblings, obviously, of the, mm-hmm. the, of the great Patriot Trinity there could yeah. have some, you know, division in it. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think that could interrupt that, intercept that. But um, I, I'm just I'm just in awe of their excellence. And uh, and uh, and yet I also love it from a socio psychoanalysis side of it. The whole NFL's that way. Mm-hmm. But they make the Jets culture look like a charity organization. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They certainly do. Yeah. And then, of course, last Sunday was just unbelievable because he lost his, Brady lost his biggest weapon. And to watch that, my friend yesterday told me that uh, that that the Patriots are the only team in the NFL that he knows of that has two, they have two game plans going into a game. Mm-hmm. And they can flip to that other game plan. So you see the first half, Jacksonville is dominating. It's like, there's no way the Patriots are going to win this game. Second half, it was like it was a different football game. Mm-hmm. Well, it was. 
Patriots flipped to another game plan. They're the only team that does that. And so you only can do that with unbelievable demand. and mm-hmm. uh, You demand a lot of your players. You demand a lot of your organization. And they're able to do that in the second half. It was just a completely different football game. And then here you are down 10 in the fourth quarter, and everybody in the world knows they're going to win this game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just am in awe. Like, I just know Brady is going to figure I know. It's just... Mm-hmm. Enjoy it, people. We're watching Babe Ruth, you know, mm-hmm. and better. It, it and uh, I just, you know, I just, I just love the guy. I just for that, right? Yeah. That dedication. And mm-hmm. I say that being aware of all things. This weekend, I'm actually going to use the quote from him that after he won his first Super Bowl, the the famous 60 Minutes quote, where he said, "I won it," and I thought, "Is this all there is?" You know, so mm-hmm. he, I can appreciate his greatness, but even within that, it's mm-hmm. still a, a temporal greatness. Yeah. That's uh, why we love them as for, sports figures, not as that's right. That's right. That's right. It's, a, it's like I have sports hate and I have sports love. Mm-hmm. Like I have real love. Well, I don't think I have really hate. I, I don't think, but I have sports hate and sports love. Mm-hmm. Sports, you know, I have a I have a sports love for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I bring up this the contempt and hate that people do have from them. You know, in your um, message last week, you brought up the, you took a survey in the room, you know, who's rooting for the Vikings, who's rooting for the Jaguars, you know, who's rooting... The Eagles. The Eagles, who's rooting for the... And you got to the Patriots. It was just a, just this this, this wall, the sonic wall of of boos and lower tones and, you know, and... Uh, well, and Christian people actually hoping Tom Brady's hands really hurt. Yeah. Okay, we got some compassion work to do here. <laughs> it's uh, and, and that's why I come up with this theory of you know why is that? And so the one the one theory as I, um, as I explained, I think I think we are in this incredible. I mean, when you think about sports in the last fifteen or so years, we have had so many of the greatest of all time, so many of the goats, so many of. Um, as I listed, that uh, has maybe um, spoiled us in a little bit to where uh, in Brady and Belichick, they're just the football version of this, the football version of that, um, and we can't appreciate it. But the, I think the other reason why people don't like Tom and Bill is because it's, it's the same reason why that same man that doesn't like the Patriots will go and see the post We'll go and see Phantom Thread of Daniel Day-Lewis, and we'll say, yeah, it's a great movie, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, uh, you know, I was sitting in this meeting the other day, and yeah, he, you know, Jim had a great idea, but... There's always but, you know, there's always... This, this criticism is so easy, and it's just... And it's so familiar and used, overused, that... It doesn't even stand out as negativity. It's just our normal way of communicating through um, either raising something up and, and, and celebrating something or creatively working through an idea. Yeah, I, I have a social theory that I've had going on, a social experiment for mm-hmm. decades now. A person's leadership ability is in direct proportion to their tendency to critique others who are in leadership. <laughs> Like real leaders don't sit around critiquing anything. Mm-hmm. First of all, they're pretty too busy doing. 
But people who aren't leaders but aspire to be, uh, they just seem to have a capacity to just critique and overanalyze. And I think I've told you before, I got a lesson to this. Like, so I grew up, my dad was a football, high school football coach. He played mm-hmm. football. And, um, he, you know, so I learned, I mean, I remember being at our kitchen table and having plays on the kitchen table, you know, when I was little. He told me when I was in fourth grade, he said, you know more football than, you know, half the people I know who coach football. So I, I bought that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I thought I knew football. And then when when back when I was doing a couple times I did devotional chapel for Ohio State mm-hmm. and I was sitting in on a special teams meeting one day before Purdue game. And they're going over the detail on punt coverage. Like so they were punting. And you know, the the guy third from the the right from the center, if your foot moves this way, this guy, the second guy next to you, his foot will move this way. And I remember sitting there having this level of detail thinking, we don't know what we're talking about when we critique football games through a television screen. Mm-hmm. Put Haskins in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bench JT. Exactly. Oh, my gosh, we don't know what we're talking about. But it was a lesson in most of the time we don't know what we're talking about. We don't. That doesn't mean that we can't have discussion. Mm-hmm. But it taught me a lesson about don't critique people whose job you can't do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I don't like myself when I'm not gentle. I don't like myself when I'm critical mm-hmm. because most of the time we don't know what we're talking about. That doesn't mean we're not discerning about the things of life that matter. But man, I see people overanalyze things and tear things apart. And I'm, I'm not wired that way, but I can be critical. Right. And, and uh, that was a, I just remember that was a real defining moment. Oh my gosh. I mm-hmm. think I know football. <laughs> uh, having a deconstructive conversation discussion is is different from it is. devaluing things and just That's saying right. this is what's wrong with it this is what in yeah instead of saying this is what i think would add value and it is much it is a lot of language and it, you know it is a lot of that um but if this is what would add value this was what would plus this is what would create mm-hmm. and add to as opposed to, we we have so much in, in our culture, when we look at sports, when we're in our meetings, wherever we are in our workplace, it's just, this is my, in my personal opinion, this is what I disagree with. Yeah. And this is and what I don't like. it's worse than ever now with, with, with talk radio, social media. It is mm-hmm. worse than ever. It is a sign, of, it's another evidence for me of human depravity. We mm-hmm. just tend toward tearing things down. And the more successful you are, the more you're going to get torn down, analyzed. I have, you know, it's this little world that I live in, mm-hmm. right? And people say, boy, is the criticism hard? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, there's not. The critique is what wears you down. Mm-hmm. It's just constantly, can't we just accept things for what they are? Mm-hmm. You know, where I say, just can we lose our thumbs? Yeah. <laughs> lose the thumbs up, thumbs down. Just accept things for what they are. We. And it's, I mean, to me, like in my position, it just, and again, I'm just a small little, mm-hmm. it's just the critique is, oh. Where, the, where this came from for me was we did, we've done, as, as your listeners know, we've done two episodes of Chuck. And I asked a good friend of mine who um, listens to a lot of podcasts. I don't listen to really any podcasts that much. Um, I listen to Bill Simmons. Therefore, I usually listen to him in the off season, NBA off season for all the free, free agent news. But then. Um, he gave some gaudy interview for like two and a half hours to Kevin Durant the day after they won the championship and I was done with him. Um, 
but <laughs> so I don't really know much about podcasting. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, um, have much expertise in it. So I have a friend who listens to a lot of podcasts. He actually happens to be a Patriots fan too. He's going to love this, this one, but, um, he's from, uh, Massachusetts. Um, and, uh, so I asked him for his feedback on the first two episodes and he sent me a, a, a litany of, uh, critiquing, um, of well, what to improve. But throughout it all, I, you know, number one, I gave him prediction. I told him, Lay right. into me. Give give it a, give it you know just you know don't sugarcoat anything. Everything you think. I gave him I gave him that consent. But throughout it all, and certainly as he summarized it, he summarized it with essentially, I can't imagine how hard it is just sitting in a room talking to an audience that's not there, but they're there having to come up with the material. It's a tough thing to do. It's a weird, awkward thing to do. And so I, I want you to know I say all that with not knowing really kind of what. Um, what it's like for you doing it. And, and that was the way that I felt like criticism was, was appropriate because it certainly is appropriate and it certainly is yeah. needed. But when it, but it, that came out of consent and mm-hmm. it came out of empathy. Mm-hmm. I don't, I can't, I'm not trying to put myself in your position. Yeah. And so that's excellent. That's excellent. I mean, that's really, we have to have that, right? We, mm-hmm. we have to have people around us that we trust that have no agenda no axe to grind. I mentioned that a little bit last week. And will give us feedback because we all have blind spots. But, mm. boy, this propensity to just tear things down, to look at Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and just tear them down, tear them down, tear them mm. down. It's diseased. It just is. It's mm-hmm. just diseased. I, I love that illustration that you're giving there mm-hmm. of, uh, of that. And I, uh, the, the thing is it's destructive. And that's the thing is... Spiritually speaking, our mouths reflect our heart, but our mouths direct our heart, too. We all know that out of the overflow of the mouth, heart the mouth speaks. But what we forget is the more I complain, critique, it affects me. Mm-hmm. You know, it affects me. So if you have a problem with Bill Belichick, I challenge you to read David Havelstam's book on Bill Belichick called The Education of a Coach. Which and, is one of my favorite leadership books ever. And uh, in two weeks or a week, I don't know when you're going to listen to this. You might listen to next month. I don't know. I'm gonna. It's Wednesday right now, the 24th of January. So in about a week and a half, Dad and I will be doing Chucked live at pregame weekend at Southbrook, where uh, we're going to talk about this player profile of Jesus. And we hope you come out. It's going to be a fun time of uh, tunes and dogs and... Uh, all sorts of things. And um, you have anything else to add? No, um, just in, invite a friend because it is a great way to uh, get to know Chuck a little bit, but also to get to know Southbrook a little bit. So we hope you enjoyed this episode of Chucked. And uh, don't be critical today. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy.